Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for a Tuesday morning episode. Today, I have an author interview that I've been saving for a nice, cold, wintry time when, you know, maybe you're feeling like reading something a little spooky, looking for inspiration. So today, we have an interview with author Isabel Cañas where we talk about her 2022 release entitled The Hacienda. After that, I will be here to chat with you about some of this week's new books. So let's dive into the housekeeping information and then we'll get started. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the book bistro podcast at gmail.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the book bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am talking with author Isabel Cañas about her novel, The Hacienda. This was released here in the U.S. on May 3rd. Isabel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. I'm so looking forward to this chat. Can we start out with a brief description of The Hacienda so that people have a little bit of an idea what they can expect? Absolutely. So it gets pitched as Mexican Gothic meets Rebecca. And in practice, what that means is that we join our heroine, Beatriz, um, in 1823 in Mexico City, right after Mexico's War of Independence from Spain. And she finds herself in a really difficult financial situation. And she makes the decision to marry uh, this mysterious widower whose first wife died under mysterious circumstances, um, Uh, about which there are many rumors. Um, And so she moves uh, from Mexico City to his dilapidated country estate that has been in the family for generations, Hacienda San Isidro. And she's living there alone when she discovers two things. One, that it is profoundly haunted. And two, that no one seems to believe her. So she seeks help um, from the church and finds it in the slightly unexpected guise of a young priest named Padre Andres, who has some dark secrets of his own that mean that he is more than he appears. I don't think I would want to be living alone in one of those like crumbling estates, you know, that appear in like Gothic novels. And me either. (laughs) Absolutely not. Definitely not my cup of tea. (laughs) 
I do have to say, though, I'm always a little worried when I see something compared to Rebecca mm-hmm. that the heroine is going to be unnamed. And so I was really yes. glad to see that our heroine uh, has a name in the Hacienda because for some reason that is just like a thing that I find really hard to deal with. Oh, we are so on the same page about this. (laughs) Yes. Like, absolutely. I remember, so I wrote the first draft or the first half of this novel in November of 2019. And I sent it to my agent and she was like, Isabel, have you read Rebecca? And I said that, you know, I'd read a little bit of it in high school and then abandoned it for, you know, other things. And, um, so I reread it uh, in between uh, bouts of revising this book and finishing this book. And I had a similar kind of reaction. Like I really struggled with the fact that m- the new, the second Mrs. De Winter in Rebecca doesn't have a name. Yes. And there's so much about her passivity in that book that just, it's a beautiful book. It is really a masterclass in tension, in voice, in atmosphere, and in dread, and a feeling of claustrophobia that so many things about the book contribute to in this incredibly tight way. But it drove me batty. Like, I I was just like, girl, fight back. Like, (laughs) you know, stand up for yourself, you know? And it just, so one thing that I did quite intentionally when I was writing this book is that I wrote it in conversation with and almost in confrontation with Rebecca, because I wanted to read a heroine uh, who was different from the unnamed Mm -hmm. Mrs. De Winter, who was different from the young woman who is the heroine in The Haunting of Hill House, whose name I unfortunately cannot remember right now. Is it Eleanor? I think it might be Eleanor. I don't know. I could, my bookshelf is just out of reach. I'm like, oh, I could snatch it off the shelf and check, but- um, (laughs) It's okay. I definitely- wanted I felt frustrated when I read these heroines of these books that I I really love but I wanted to read someone who would fight back and so I wrote her and I wrote a pragmatic heroine who goes into an array not an arranged marriage but a a marriage of convenience very clear-eyed understanding that this is not a love match you know I think Mrs. DeWinter and Rebecca is like oh but I love him and it's like right or at least she in the beginning like she she thinks she does Absolutely. And she's infatuated with him and he holds her at a distance. And I'm like, kid, there's a reason. (laughs) Mess lies ahead. Stay away. Um, But Vance goes into this marriage knowing that it will fix a specific financial problem she has, which is one that I think many 19th century heroines, whether that's in books written in the 19th century or historical fiction novels have, which is that she doesn't have in her society, she lacks autonomy and independence when it comes to making sure that she can make a life for herself and her family without the support of a man because her father is killed in an act of political backstabbing. And she finds herself um, at a loss. Her mother had a love match married for married for love. And she thinks that she does. And she knows that she does not have that privilege. She, in order to provide for herself and her mother, she must be pragmatic and make sacrifices um, in order to obtain independence and security. And so she does it and ends up with a haunted ass house. (laughs) (laughs) So did you always know that you wanted to write this sort of a a Gothic novel or did you have something else in mind when you first like sat down to write this? You know, I kind of stumbled into this project. I think it's always been what it was going to become. 
but my career kind of stumbled into this project. I wrote two young adult fantasy manuscripts before this, and I went, one of them got me my agent. I went on submission with both of them and I got a lot of rejections and there was, yeah, it was two years of rejection. It was not, it was not easy. You know, I think it's definitely something that looking back, has it made me a better writer? Absolutely. Did I enjoy it when it was happening? No, 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 not at all. So I was at a, I received one particularly heartbreaking rejection on a revise and resubmit um, when I was on my honeymoon in Mexico city in 2019. Yes, I know. Like my agent was like, I'm not going to send you rejections while you're on honeymoon, but I nagged her and I really, really wanted to know about this revise and resubmit because I was very optimistic about it. I thought I'd really made this book so much better, blah, 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 blah. It was a rejection. So I had a little public cry about it. And my husband, when he was consoling me, he was like, you know, you have this other idea. I had two books that I was kind of, you know, in the early, um, very early phases. And one of them was another fantasy novel. And one of them was a horror novel, a historical fiction novel that had horror elements, which is not something I've ever, I'd ever tried before for writing a novel, I'd written like maybe one or two short stories that were informed by horror or that had horror elements of the supernatural, but I'd never written a full novel. And because I was at a point in my career where I had experienced so much rejection, I thought, do you know what? I really want to pivot. I really want to try something new. I really want to have another whack at this. I thought um, I had nothing to lose, frankly. And so I wrote a book that actually was the most honest book I've ever written. It taps into parts of myself that I didn't know I was going to touch on uh, when I started writing it. So in a way, I knew what this book was going to be. I knew I was working with familiar Gothic archetypes, you know, the big house, the young woman, the mysterious older husband, um, unwelcoming um, household members on at, at the estate when the young woman gets there. Uh, and I threw, in a free, I threw in a priest for good measure because I was like, what the heck? This is Mexico. I'm Mexican and Catholic. Yeah, this is what we do. And good. Exactly. Um, especially ones like Padre Andres, but we could talk about him later. But I think the thing that really took me by surprise with this book was the characters and the way that their personal intersections of like of class and race really and gender really forced me to be vulnerable about my own experience um, as a Latina in this world and also forced me to be very vulnerable about what I'm afraid of, which was incredible. It was, I didn't think writing horror was going to be as like, <laughs> like Lee Bardugo, the young adult writer often says like writing is not therapy. Therapy is therapy. And I agree with this. It's true. It's true. But there's something very therapeutic about very cathartic about coming at issues in your oh, yeah. life through the, the, the form of writing genre fiction. Cause I've never written literary fiction. It's not something that interests me or, you know, keeps me up at night. <laughs> and I don't often get ideas um, that are set in the real world. I'm very much an other escapist, other world escapist kind of writer. So I write a lot of fantasy. I enjoy sci-fi. I love historical fiction. And I think one thing they, in horror, and I think one thing that these genres do is that they allow us to really grapple with things, very sensitive and tricky parts of our lives that are scary to approach head on and allows us to come at them from another angle. Like I can look at like trauma that I've experienced or inherited 
from an angle of horror, from the angle yes. of historical fiction, and talk about it in ways that are honest and authentic and that resonate with readers without facing it head on. It's like kind of like looking at it sideways out of the corner of your eye. It becomes less scary or perhaps more scary. <laughs> there are many things that you can catch out of the corner of your eye in Hacienda San Isidro that will keep you up at night. So I think it's it's been, so this book became much more powerful for me personally as I was writing it than I ever could have anticipated. There's this new kind of subgenre that I'm seeing quite a bit lately that people are calling social horror that I think does a lot of what you're talking about with like inherited trauma, past trauma, and looks at the way society treats its marginalized members. And sometimes it does it through kind of supernatural horror, like kind of Mm -hmm. what you're describing with, with hauntings and things like that. But it also does it just through things that society puts people through. Yes. Um, and I've seen, and the, it's, yeah, I've seen the term post-colonial horror thrown around as well. And it's something ah. that I wholeheartedly embrace. <laughs> and it's a, it's a pretty new thing. I feel like I haven't read a lot of things that like fall into this yet, mm-hmm. but what I have read, I have really enjoyed. And I think it's and not enjoyed in like a, you know, a terrible way, like, oh, so good. Like people go yeah. through terrible things, but yeah, I know enjoyed mean. in that way of like, you know, this book really draws you in. And even while it's entertaining you, it's giving you, you know, something, something deeper to, to think about and absorb in a way that you might not otherwise. I agree. I agree. And I think that, um, I don't know if there are a lot of other books that play that add historical fiction into the mix as well as addressing the the aspects that you've just mentioned. But one thing that I think is really important about these kinds of books is that they're not just scares for the sake of being scary. Like the the haunted house must be more than the sum of its four walls. I think it must be these kinds of stories in order to be, to reach their maximum power or efficacy in terms of impacting readers must um, be vehicles for something more. And I think one thing that's very powerful about, um, well, perhaps I'm tooting my own horn here, but one thing I really <laughs> enjoy about listening, hearing readers um, like hop into my DMs and tell me what they enjoyed about the book. Like one thing I find is really impactful for me as the author is to hear how its themes really resonated with them. Like whether they're Mexican-American readers like me who struggled to find representation in genre fiction, or there was one review that I, um, that I saw in passing because I do my darndest not to read any reviews. The reviews are for readers and I stay the hell away from Goodreads for sure. Ah, um, Goodreads. Definitely stay far away from Goodreads because uh, it belongs to readers and they can say what they want. It's a public forum and um, I can be a little fragile sometimes like any newbie author. <laughs> I'm still new at this. I'm still learning the ropes. But I caught a glimpse of one review. I don't remember where it was, but it was by a Filipino reader who said that they actually felt seen by this book and they saw echoes of um perhaps like the i know that the colonial colonial experience of spain and the philippines is different from spain and latin america and there are obviously huge differences but there are echoes that are or things that reflect um yes one another and so the reader actually 
really, really enjoyed the book. And so I think that was, it just struck me as like, I was so humbled by that because I never imagined that I could reach readers in that way. Um, And it's just really special. It's a very strange like uh, experience putting a book into the world. You feel like an imposter. You feel very exposed. You feel very raw and you feel very tired, (laughs) but I think it comes with enormous rewards. Um, Like hearing that from readers just means the world to me. I think there's a power in storytelling that allows us to connect with experiences that perhaps aren't our own, but as you say, can echo things that either we've experienced or things that we've you know heard about or learned about. And often I find that I connect to things much in a much deeper way when I'm reading about it in a, a fictional story than yeah. like say watching something on the news or reading a you know sort of like nonfiction like expose. Absolutely. It has a certain power to it. And I think like, um, I think it's possible to connect to stories that are like perhaps specific to cultures that are not the ones that you were raised in, because there are themes that run through all stories, especially horror fiction that are very universal. Like I wrote this book because I'm afraid of the dark and I get creeped out by big spooky houses and whether, Uh, you know, and I think that um, one thing even though this book is set in a very specific time period, it's historical fiction. It's very informed by a specific historical experience, um, specific cultural influences and specific um, kinds of people living in with certain societal restraints. But the things that they are afraid of, there's some of the things that they are afraid of and that they fear and have to fight in this book are very um, universal. And I think one thing that I struggle with as a marginalized writer is that especially a marginalized writer of historical fiction, um, is that I am expected to, some readers and some reviewers expect me to teach them something Ah. about the period I'm writing about. And I really struggle with this because I believe that historical fiction is very powerful. Like you've said, fiction indeed is really powerful and storytelling is very powerful, is a very powerful tool for inspiring empathy for people who are different from yourself, for like walking in someone else's shoes for albeit a brief period of time. It's a very powerful tool for expanding our worldviews and for expanding our compassion for people who are different from us. And, um, but I think writers of color and marginalized writers um, in general have a burden placed on them to be teachers and to teach about a certain experience in their fiction that I think white writers um, don't isn't like that burden isn't placed on them like no one is expecting like Shirley Jackson to teach them things about a certain societal um, pocket of society or historical period you know no one is going into Rebecca being expected like to be taught about Cornwall you know, this is what people in Cornwall believed at this time, or this is what people in Cornwall expected of their women in this time. It's like, no, like she's just telling a story. And so I long for the privilege to just be allowed to tell a story. But I also think that 
the privilege I also have is to shed light on a historical period that people don't learn about in schools in the United States or honestly in Europe. It's just like, and, and, and so that's a very special thing to be able to do. And it's a period that I find super interesting just as a, not just as a reader, but also as a historian. So it's something I go back and forth about. Like it's an unfair burden to be placed on the mark that gets placed on marginalized writers to be teachers about yes. their experiences in ways that is not placed on white or able-bodied writers at all. And that is unfair. So, but at the other, on the other hand, there's like, opportunities that present themselves to reach readers who don't otherwise feel seen in genre fiction or in historical fiction. So I'm rambling a little bit. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So we are recording this a few weeks after your initial publication of Mm -hmm. the Hacienda. So I'm wondering what can readers expect next from you now that this has been in the world for a little while? Yes, I am publishing another book with Berkeley. It should come out next summer. So summer 2023. I can't say a whole lot about it, but it definitely um, will appeal to readers who enjoyed the Hacienda because it also deals with three things that I believe form the bones of the Hacienda. 19th century Mexican history, in this case, South Texas in 1846 on the eve of the Mexican-American War. It's a region my family's lived in for generations, and it's a topic I feel very passionately about. It has a lot of romance. That's number two. I definitely, there are no priests, unfortunately. The trope instead that I play with is childhood best friends to lovers and second chance romance. So you can't always have priests, I guess. No, it would get repetitive, but I hope (laughs) I personally, I love the characters and the romance in this book are, they keep me up at night, you know, with their chattering. I think they're really alive in a way that as a writer, that's like something I chase, you know? So I'm very, very excited about them. And the third aspect of this upcoming book that I think will appeal to readers of the Hacienda is the fact that it has a hearty dose of horror elements. In this case, we have some monsters that are very scary and they play with the Mexican legend of El Cucuy or the Boogeyman. So I can't say much more than that because there is another side to these monsters that would definitely give too much away but I'm very I'm revising it right now and I am just like I'm so excited it is pure like it's scary it definitely has a lot of dread and tension um but it's just such a joy it's so fun and I know when I'm writing something and having the time of my life that it'll work as a book and I think readers will really enjoy it or I hope they will. Ooh, this this makes me happy. I, I will be waiting and waiting. Oh, yes. I just need to get back to it. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. 2023. So on the topic of things that excite you, what have you read recently that has excited you? So sitting at the intersection of many genres, I read a lot of different genres. I really, I love a lot of romance. I love a lot Yay. of historical fiction. I'm really into, I don't read as much horror lately. Um, and I read a ton of fantasy. So one book that I've really loved lately that was kind of out of the left field for me, because I don't usually reach for historical romance specifically, was called The Siren of Sussex by Mimi Matthews. Um, it came out, I think earlier this year, maybe in March. Um, The next book in the series is out in October, but it's about a young woman in Victorian England. Yes, Victorian 1860s, um, who needs to, you know, have a whack at the marriage mart 
um, to help her family and her sister, younger sisters, uh, they're, I believe they're orphans. And so her way of making her splash is to be the most accomplished equestrian on Rotten Row. And in order to do so, because she's already a fantastic horseback rider, is to get the best riding habit. And so she goes to a tailor who is half Indian and has a complicated experience with like empire and race in London mm -hmm. in the 1860s. And they fall in love. And it is the chemistry leaps off the page. I thought my Kindle was going to spontaneously combust. Like it was brilliantly done. I loved it. Oh, it has a dash of spiritualism. So there's some ghosty things. So of course it was absolutely my cup of tea. I enjoyed it immensely. It's funny that you mentioned this today because um, I usually air on Tuesday mornings, the guide to the week's new releases, but also mm -hmm. that's when author interviews air. And this morning, the Mimi Matthews interview um, is what aired on the podcast yeah. today. Well, I'm going to, as soon as I'm done with, with my work today, I'm shutting everything off and listening to the interview because I think she is brilliant. You know, she, she is, she really she is. knows her, like I'm a horse girl and she knows her stuff and she writes about it in a way that just, it just sings, you know, there's so much. And she was just heart so much fun to talk to. Oh, I can't wait to listen to that. Yes, you'll, you'll have to, you'll have to find it. But we are running a little short on time, unfortunately. Um, I have like many other questions that I, I could ask you, but I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me and to let listeners know a little bit about you and your work. It was my pleasure, Shannon. Thank you so much for a delightful chat. I wish we could talk for ages, but... <laughs> it's true. Can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Yes. Um, IsabelCanas.com. That's I-S-A-B-E-L-C-A-N-A-S.com. Or I most often haunt Instagram at IsabelCanas underscore. So I-S-A-B-E-L-C-A-N-A-S underscore. I'm sometimes on TikTok, but uh, not lately. I find it's it's super fun, but a little draining. And I most often lurk around Instagram. Again, this has been a discussion with author Isabel Canas concerning her novel, The Hacienda, which released here in the U.S. on May 3rd. All right, so let's talk about new books. So as is usually the case, I have a handful of books that you've heard us mention before on our most anticipated releases of January episode. So I'm starting with a couple of things that Brooke is looking forward to. This Drawn to Death by Kat Shihada and The Sins We Hide by Scarlett Cole. We then have a historical novel that Stacy is exciting about, excited about. And this is The Three Lives of Alex St. Pierre by Natasha Lester. So if you're looking for something historical, this one might work for you. Natalia is anticipating the new Mary Kubica book, which is called Just the Nicest Couple. Kristen mentioned the new Naima Simone, which she is very excited about, as is Stacy. And this one is Mr. Right Next Door, Rosebend, book four. Georgina 
is looking forward to the new Amy Lee, which is called X's and O's. And she joins me in anticipating the new Yasmin Galinorn, which is Charmed to Death, Magic Happens, book two. So now that we've talked about some books that you've heard us mention before, let's move on to some things that we haven't already discussed. I'm going to start off with some mystery, thriller, suspense, you know, those kinds of things. We have City Under One Roof by Iris Yamashita. This is set in Alaska in a place where basically the town is contained under one roof. And I guess a murder has taken place there. I am definitely intrigued by this. I love books set in Alaska and the idea of like a city contained in a single building. Um, it's just very, very intriguing to me. And then you add in murder and I'm kind of thinking like there's not much that could be better than this. So this is City Under One Roof by Iris Yamashita. We also have The Girls Who Disappeared by Claire Douglas. This is an author who has written a good number of books and I'm ashamed to say I have never read them. Um, I've wanted to, I own them. I think there might even be like one actually sitting on my iPad, like waiting to be read at this moment, um, but I just have not done it. But I know that a lot of people who enjoy thrillers, um, especially like British thrillers, do really like Claire Douglas. So if you're looking for something like that, definitely give her a try. This is The Girls Who Disappeared by Claire Douglas. We also have the second novel by author Stacey Willingham, who wrote A Flicker in the Dark last year. We now have All the Dangerous Things. So it's been 364 days since our heroine's son disappeared. And that same amount of time since she has slept. Like she's kind of blacked out from time to time, maybe taken a little cat nap, but no, you know, solid sleep. And this is wreaking havoc with her on all sorts of levels. And she is determined to solve the mystery of her son's disappearance. So this is um, All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. Then we have a book with a title that I really love. This is The Things We Do to Our Friends. It's by Heather Darwin. It is about an outsider who is desperate to kind of become a member of this group of very dangerously ambitious students. It's a book set in a school. This is The Things We Do to Our Friends by Heather Darwin. And if you're looking for something that's kind of like a police procedural, this next book might work for you. This is Everybody Knows. It's by Jordan Harper. Now I have to say that I don't fully understand what I'm about to say. I mean, I understand that I'm saying it, but I don't understand what it means. This book is about something called a black bag publicist. I, I don't know what that is. And her confrontation with a group of very powerful and very bad people in LA. Um, this is a noir, so if, you're, if you enjoy that, this one might be up your alley. This is Everybody Knows by Jordan Harbour. 
And you know, I think I misspoke when I said that this was the procedural because the actual police procedural that I was talking about is Devil's Way. And it is Kate Marshall, book four, by Robert Brinza. And he is known for writing the Erica Foster series, which I think is now over, but he has begun to write Kate Marshall. And Brooke has read, I think, both of these series and has really enjoyed them. So this one is Devil's Way. It is Kate Marshall, book four, by Robert Brinza. And let's move on now to some kind of fantasy, paranormal romance, you know, all kinds of delightful things like that. We now have a new Suzanne Wright. This is The Wicked in Me, Devil's Cradle, book one. This is an author that Brooke really, really likes and one that I have been intrigued by for quite a while. Um, I'm a little bit unsure because I think some of them kind of fall into like the, the bully romance kind of thing. And that doesn't always work for me, even if it's paranormal, but her synopses do really intrigue me. So I'd want to check something out by her, but this one is the start of a new series. It is the wicked in me devil's cradle book one by Suzanne Wright. We also have hell bent this is Alex Stern, book two, by Lee Bardugo. This is the long-awaited follow-up to Ninth House, which is about secret societies um, in Ivy League schools. So if you read Ninth House, you are probably ready for this one. This is Hellbent, Alex Stern, book two, by Lee Bardugo. Seanan McGuire has a new book out. This is Lost in the Moment and Found, Wayward Children, book eight. This is a series that I haven't read because these are all novella length books. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know, and I know that, well, short books make me hostile, even if they're by someone masterful like Sean McGuire. But if they don't make you hostile, and if you've read the previous books in the series, then you are probably ready for this one. It is Lost in the Moment and Found, Wayward Children, Book 8, by Seanan McGuire. All right. I want to round off today with a historical novel. And this is In the Upper Country by Kai Thomas. This is about a woman who killed a bounty hunter in 1859 when he followed her to a small town in Canada. And this examines kind of the ripple effect of this crime throughout the town and all of the like, things that it embodies, like the reasons that he was hunting her, you know, why she ended up killing him and just all of the, the consequences of that for both her and those around her. So this is In the Upper Country by Kai Thomas. And this is one that I definitely plan to read. So those are books that I have for you this week. I hope all of you are staying safe and well, and of course, well-read.
If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.